Everyone knows that there is a ticking time bomb on college search name buys. As test optional becomes the norm in college admissions, the quantity of students taking the SAT and ACT will continue to diminish year over year. Furthermore, the ROI of purchase names has dramatically decreased in recent years. Most schools are lucky to see a 0.1% of the student names they buy actually become students at their institution. Today's sponsor is poised to disrupt this entire industry. Meet Bold.org. Bold is a platform that matches your admissions team to the best right fit inquiries for your school. Every month, hundreds of thousands of students join Bold.org to apply for scholarships, build out LinkedIn-esque profiles, and get matched to the right schools for them. With over 100 data points per student available for targeting and customization, and a Netflix-like recommendation algorithm, you'll be able to connect with the right inquiries who actually want to talk to your admissions team. 50% of Bold.org inquiries are applying to their schools of interest. Try and get that CRO and ROI from any other marketing channel. I dare you. Sign up for a subscription to Bold.org and get ready to meet the students who are searching for and asking questions about you. Learn more at go.bold.org forward slash enrollify. Again, that's go.bold.org forward slash enrollify. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the show. Today, I am joined by Carrie Morrison, who is the Chief Storytelling Officer at Goodkind. Welcome to the show, Carrie. Thanks for having me, bud. Um, Carrie, so just give us a little teaser about, Don't you don't need to go into too much detail, but like, where are you recording from right now, and why are you <laughs> recording from this location? You had to do it, didn't you? I had, had to. I'm to sorry. Do it. I'm sorry. Uh, all good. So uh, there is some rather massive and noisy construction going out in front of my building that just suddenly appeared this morning. So I am jammed in against the shoes and jackets of my front closet uh, on the floor <laughs> trying to escape the sound. I love it. I love it. Um, hey, well, I think that that just shows like commitment, right? Like you're so committed to being on the show today that you went through rather than just like calling an audible, like I've called an audible like two or three times trying to get this conversation to happen. You uh, you made it work. You climbed into the closet and uh, here we are. You sound great. Um, and I think we're poised for for a fantastic conversation today. Yeah, listen, I couldn't let you down, man. I couldn't <laughs> let you down. Well, Carrie, I was trying to think. So we actually met through your CEO, the CEO and uh, founder of Goodkind. And I met him, Justin, through Matt Diddlejin, who is the founder and CEO, co-founder and CEO of Glacier, which is, uh, he's been on the pod several times. He's an awesome dude. Um, am I, am I, I'm remembering that correctly, right? That's how we, that's how we came into uh, each other's lives. Yeah, that sounds exactly right. Well, good because um, both everyone I meet from like Canada in sort of the ed tech, tech, video tech space is just exceptional. So I really hope you uh, you don't you know uh, let me down here because uh, you Canadians, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know what it is, what's in the water up there, but um, every time I talk to one of you, I, I leave with just a plethora of ideas and insight. So um, I'm selfishly looking forward to this conversation in hopes that I 
walk away with, uh, with more insight and, and more ideas for things that I can put into practice myself, let alone things that our listeners will be able to put into practice. Well, thank you for all that weight, the weight of the country and on solving and teaching you all these things. No, no, this will go great now. Thank you. Oh, great. Well, um, Carrie, one of the things I like to do at the start of this show is uh, I have like 10 questions that I kind of pick from depending on who I'm interviewing to just kickstart things. And one of the questions uh, I wanted to start our conversation with was around something that you've recently changed your mind about. You strike me in the, you know, the few conversations we've had as an idea guy. You, I like the way that you think I've read several of the things that you've posted on LinkedIn. Um, and yeah, the way that, the way that you think about storytelling, the way that you think about branding, the way that you think about marketing is, is exceptionally interesting. And we're going to get into a lot of that today. But I'd love to just, you know, hear right off the cuff, what's something uh, professional or, or otherwise that you've recently changed your mind about? You, you see, that's a tough question for me because I feel like I change my mind almost daily. <laughs> so it shouldn't be that uh, hard. It shouldn't be that hard. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's just too much. I mean, look, I, I it's, not a, it's not a new thought and I, I forget who... Who really coined it in the first place? But but this concept of you know strong opinions loosely held hmm. is something that really resonates with me. And and look, I I just like everybody, I've got an ego, and I I come up with things, and I want them to be great, and I want them to be good, and they've come from me, and I have lots of experience. And you know what I find more and more is uh, the more that I, uh, for lack of a better way to put it, the more that I shut up about things. And the more that I listen, and the more that I try and take, uh, uh, you know, all sources in before forming those opinions, um, you know, it, it's just working a lot better. And, and maybe that's a sign of my, you know, I'm getting older and, and maybe a little bit slower in some things. Um, so I, I find it's almost daily that I'm trying to look at the things that I have always held close that, you know, need, need re-examining. And it, it's not that I'm going maybe 180 on them. But it's that I'm looking for a slightly more efficient way or a slightly better way or mm. a slightly tweaked way in order to, to make those things happen. And uh, I think we'll talk about it a little bit, but I, I don't feel that anything that I do is remotely new or revolutionary in any way. In fact, almost every, um, uh, the heroes that I have and the knowledge that I have come from, from you know, the 50s and 60s when it comes to marketing. So it's a little bit of that balancing act. Yeah. What a, do you have an example you could give for something that kind of falls into this, this category of, you know, you, you are, uh, I, I like how you phrase it sort of like, uh, would you, what did you say? You said, uh, loosely, uh, str strong. What, what was the phrase again? You said like strongly held, the loosely held Str strong, opinions, strong opinions, loosely, loosely held. held. There we go. I yeah. love that. I'm going to, I'm going to write that one down. Um, do you have a, do you have a quick example for us of something that, falls into that territory that you've experienced recently? Yeah, I think, you know, at, at good kind, we, we work with, you know, we certainly work obviously in, in higher education and in K to 12, but we've got customers in, in nonprofit and customers on the retail side. And, and I think the biggest thing for me is to, is to remember that each of those markets is very different. Hmm. So we were talking to a university last week you know, I, I I kind of go in with some uh, I guess some biases, if you will, of what uh, especially universities in Canada might want, 
And these guys went, no, no, we, we, we don't have any problem with any of that stuff. Huh. Right. We have, we have, we're, we're completely focused on solving this one problem where, you know, I had to kind of sit back and go, oh, so again, maybe not come in with those sorts of thoughts. So without getting into specifics about their issue, it's, uh, I'm constantly sort of hit with things like that, you know, walk in mind open and things will go a lot better. I like that. Um, and, and makes a lot of sense. And it actually reminds me, I was listening to a podcast this morning. Um, I don't know if you've ever listened to everything is marketing. It's, uh, Corey Haynes, who I've followed on Twitter for a while now. Um, and he's a I have not. creator. Uh, he started a marketing community, a paid marketing community that is, uh, that I'm a part of called swipe files. It's really great. Um, anyways, he was interviewing, um, this individual who's, uh, Arville something he founded, he was the founder of, um, uh, funnel Panda, I think is what the name of the company was basically, or feedback Panda. I think it was, it was basically this like feedback loop for, for teachers. Anyhow, one of the things that he was talking about was this very, uh, you know, a lot of people come to him and ask about how do you build an audience and should you build an audience first or sort of, you know, and, and, and then sort of try to monetize that audience and, or should you build the product first and then try to grow an audience around the product. And this, uh, one of the interesting sort of like, uh, uh, back and forth sort of dialogue that they had. Corey was sort of like a product first guy and Arville was very much like audience first guy. And basically Arville's sort of argument is, you know, one of the, th one of the biggest mistakes that marketers make is we walk into a conversation convinced that we have the solution to a customer's problem. And oftentimes, especially at the rate at which things are changing and just the rate of the rate at which um, new products and services and approaches and strategies are are sort of coming about today, the customer has more choice than ever before. And so he said, like, the way to actually differentiate is to really lean in to truly understand your audience, truly understand your niche, and then figure out how do you go about solving, uh, whether it's from a solution sta a services standpoint or a product standpoint, um, a solution to their problem. And anyways, that, that just reminded me of what, of what you were just sharing and this idea that oftentimes the temptation is we've built something and we feel like this is, this is so good. And if only they can understand how great this thing is, how valuable it is, how game changing it is, you know, then they'll, then they'll buy it. And we approach our, our conversations that way, as opposed to like walking into the conversation, as you said, really trying to understand what is their problem, what is their need, and then discerning whether or not we have something that can meet that need today or whether or not there's, you know, a need that they've highlighted that should inform what we should build tomorrow. Yeah, look, I, I don't even know how there's debate about this anymore. <laughs> I would never build a product first. Oh, pardon me, sneezing. Uh, I would never build a product first if I had a chance to, um, or the time or the opportunity to build an audience first. Yeah. You know, yeah. Th this idea that if you have an audience that you, and it, it doesn't even matter if it's large, right? But if you have an audience that trusts you, that listens to what you have to say, that you're providing value to, you can sell that audience anything. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I don't understand that at all. You know, I... And it's it's not easy, and it's rare that it happens. But this idea that the the product needs to be a certain level of polish, or we have to have these things figured out, or we have to, you know, get it to a certain level of functionality, whatever the thing is that you, the excuses that we come up with, we've all made them. Yeah. Um, I think I think it's crap. Hmm. Put the thing out there. Tell people about what you're trying to do. Tell people about what the the problem you're trying to solve, and then listen 
to their version of the pain that they're having. Yeah. Right. There's, you know, there's only two things that we buy, uh, only two reasons that we buy things for, right? They move us closer to pleasure or further from pain. Hmm. And until you understand exactly what motivates people in one of those two paths, there's no sense building anything. There's no sense crafting anything. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so an audience to me just makes, uh, it's the only thing that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I'm thinking about our listeners too, and like how, how this translates to their context. And oftentimes I feel like the decisions that go into deciding to launch a new program at a college or university or launch a new major or whatever it might be is typically, uh, believe it or not, based off of what other people are doing, right? So you go and you look at your competitors and you say, oh, hey, they just launched a master's in business analytics. So should we. Um, and then, you know, a lot of the sort of vetting that happens in higher ed is a little bit antiquated. Um, and what people end up doing is they end up building programs and majors and, and even minors sometimes. Certificates also definitely fall into this category that look just like the person down the streets major or you know minor or program or certificate because in actuality they are because they had they didn't do the work of understanding okay what is unique about our audience what is unique about the people that are in our greater area or what is sort of our niche offering that can meet the needs of a niche audience um and then let's build something that is let's build a program that is akin to uh that, that is more closely aligned to what this audience actually needs and i think that that's sort of like the mistake that so many schools are making even today in 2021 when it comes to launching these new programs. Yeah. I mean, look, there, there's two things that come up for me in, in what you said. The first is that it, it's, it's hard at times to be bold, right? It's hard at times to be different. It's really easy to look across the street or look across the, the hall or the aisle and say, well, they're doing that thing and it seems to be working. So we should do that thing. And, and in some instances that is fine. Yeah. Right. Sometimes you're, you're covering gaps. Sometimes you're just, you know, um, uh, even trying to get some low hanging fruit, which at times is fine. But it's hard to look at a, at a problem and find a unique solution. And the one thing I like about what you said is that it's not necessarily about I don't have to come up with the most original thing of all time. I don't have yeah. to come up with this, this idea that's never been heard before. I just need to take that idea and I need to do those slight variations that make it special for the people I'm trying to sell it to or more valuable or more interesting, yeah. right? Again, not what I need, but what they need. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested. Uh, I actually want you to give us a quick overview of good kind in just a second, but um, following up on that, uh, that point, one of the things that I think is, is challenging for folks, especially in higher ed, people that are working in higher education and marketing is that, Oftentimes, right, there's this idea that you do need to be kind of all things to all people, especially if you have like a a general offering, like a bachelor's of business administration, for example, right? And like you're trying to market that program. And it, it is very hard because it's it's a very like the the potential sort of like uh, prospective student audience that is interested in a basic, you know, comprehensive business uh, uh, major it is quite broad. Um, and, I, and I think that the, the challenge for so many institutions is that they, they typically, they, they're not willing to do the work or they're scared or they don't have the resources or they don't have the frameworks to figure out like, okay, how do we position this offering to a particular audience, even at the risk of potentially isolating, right? Another segment of 
a different audience. And I think that that is what schools are terrified of. And therefore they water down their offering so that there is nothing unique or distinct, at least at face value, because they want to be as broad as possible. Yeah, which, which again, I understand on some level, but there's another line, and I also don't know who said this, but if you do what everybody else does, you get what everybody else gets. Hmm. And and in, in this market especially, you know, if there is no real differentiation, right, and a, and a, and a Bachelor of Arts or a, a, an English Lit degree from one university or one college is fundamentally not going to affect your life differently than, than the same degree from another institution. You know, at the end of the day, when I go into the job market post, you know, college or university, I, I'm, I'm banking, well, I've got a degree in this from here. You know, obviously, if it's in that top tier of, of schools, if you get a, you know, uh, you get a law degree from Harvard, it's better than a law degree from the, you know, uh, uni- the community college of Valparaiso. Yeah, 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 right? yeah, yeah. But um, if you're doing that same thing, and you're making that same offer, then you're at the whim of a marketplace, uh, in my mind, that there is no differentiation in choice, I might as well go to the one that's the cheapest, or I might mm-hmm. as well go to the one that's the closest. And, and so again, I know that it's hard to be bold. But if you can do something to stand out, and, and it doesn't have to be, you know, we always think that it takes some magical offer, some huge differentiator to make a difference. It doesn't really. Hmm. It, it can often be the smallest things. So when you talk about that positioning or, or th- sort of thinking outside the box with these universities, wh- what are the other things that you offer? Yeah. You know, if you're USC, you've got, a, you know, the beach and you've got beautiful L.A., um, but even if you're, a, you know, um, you know, in a city that doesn't maybe have that visual beauty, you've got an alumni that maybe has great connections. Yeah. You know, you've got a you've got a, an area that allows for cheaper housing or, um, you know, there's tons of jobs there. Like it, it's I think the problem. And again, I'm, I'm somewhat new to this education space. so I, I certainly don't have everything f- figured out, but I think the opportunity is around. What is the value around the university? What is the value around the Mm. education you're going to offer somebody that allows you to be you, right? That allows you to opt to to put the personality of that into play. And I think unless you're doing that at at a very basic level, you're creating that larger community, you're building it about something other than just the degree. The degree is important and that's the thing, but that's not the only reason why people are making these choices. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think if we consider the rest of the story around it and start highlighting those things, start testing those things. Right. There, this is a slightly different analogy, but there's a, a woman whose name, again, I forget, terrible morning from memory, um, but she was running the transit authority in New York. And she made a comment one time that we were going to start trying th- some things because you know what? Paint is cheap. Hmm. And this idea that she was going to paint bike lanes in a bunch of uh, areas and see how they were used and see if they made a difference, as opposed to the 10 year project of, you know, putting up barriers and doing all these other things to, you know, to figure things out in the way you're supposed to do it. Right. It doesn't cost a lot to run the kind of experiments that you can find out very quickly whether or not they make a difference. Yeah. And it, in my mind, as a, as a marketer, as a program director, if you're not sort of thinking on those things, then you've got a budget, you've got a certain amount of people and a certain amount of time you can reach out to, and you've got a program that may or may may not be any different than the one at the university or college across the street. And if that's the case, then you're going to, you're going to hustle for these people just like they are. 
and you're going to get what you're going to get. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love, I love all of that. And I think, you know, one of the, one of the challenges too is, is, and maybe this is more of a, like a leadership sort of uh, blind spot is you're expected to increase enrollment per, for a particular program by like 10%, let's say in any given, in any given year. And yet the resources that you have to be different are the same as the resources that, you know, the university down the street does. Um, and I well, think that, 100%, right? Yeah. And, and sorry, I don't want to cut you off, but I, you know, we look at the, I was just reading a thing on the weekend. And if you ever listen to, to Scott Galloway, I mean, it sounds like the sky is falling. But, you know, uh, applications at the top 10% of schools in the U.S. were up, I think it was 66% yeah. this last year. Yeah. And yet uh, applications for the next, you know, 500 schools were down 42%. Like the, there's a reckoning coming, right? Coming, right? Those schools, the Harvards, the MITs, the uh, what else? The Colgates, the Stanfords. You know why you go there, right? Yeah. You go to Stanford to get a job at a startup. Yep. yep. Right. You go to Harvard to get a law degree or to work for the Lampoon or to you know you you're in that fraternity. You're in that group of people that have done that, and that that is a bigger thing than even the degree. I think in some in in some aspects. Yeah. So those guys, and they also have more money than God, right? Like yeah. they can outspend everybody. And, yeah. and the bigger thing in, in my mind is marketing is not about trying to find more budget, right? Marketing is not about trying to just spend more money, buy more ads, you know, reach more people. If you take the time and put the effort in, and then you do that early work up front, like we're talking about, um, it's not that this is easy. There's nothing about this is easy. This is work. Yeah. But it's not just outspend out hustle. It's thoughtful, um, um, you know, very targeted work that I think makes a big difference. And to your earlier point, let, to bring this all full circle, if you're not doing something to, to think about how you're unique, if you're not differentiating, then you're going to get what you're going to get. And I think that that's actually a beautiful segue into a question I should have asked 20 minutes ago, but um, which is a little bit about good kind. And I'm hoping one of the things I like to do to just help folks, uh, help tee folks up to explain sort of the value of their offering, the value of the company that they're that we're, they're working at, um, or the technique that they're talking about is to ask them to give a two minute sort of like pitch as if they were on Shark Tank trying to get Mark Cuban or one of the other sharks to to invest in good kind. How would you go about selling uh, your this idea and what is sort of the the value add that good kind brings, especially to the the higher ed space? I know that you guys are broader than than just higher ed, but how would you sort of articulate your value offering to the education space? So listen, I, I hate to do this to you because I know we talked about this a little bit, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and, and I'm not going to do that for the, for the sole reason of exactly what we talked about, which is you, if you do that same thing, you position yourself in that same way, um, or you just sell, or you just talk about yourself, yeah. then it, it's not working. Okay. So I good, like it. good kind Good kind is very simply at its most basic. We're, we're a technology company that uses video to connect, uh, you know, basically buyers and sellers. Now, if I talk about it that way and I make that pitch, that, that's not exciting in any way. And that's not about providing value. And quite frankly, I, I don't think that makes any sense. I, when I talk about this to, to universities and colleges, I say, look, we're clearly a technology company and we're clearly a video company. But frankly, th that's not who we are. 
what we are is a way to bring some humanity, some connection, some authenticity back to the to the messaging you're putting out to your current and prospective students. Right. Mm. So rather than sending a, a, a boring, staid, plain email with with the fake personalization in it that we all know is there, right? When I get an email and it says, "Hey, Carrie," at the top, nobody wrote that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, That's yeah. a merge tag. Yeah. All all we want to do at Good Kind is replace the, this those messages that you would send out when you're recruiting students or you're trying to talk to uh, or to shepherd students even through the onboarding process, you know, as they sign their offers and they attend school, we want to place that with the human face, right? We want you to send yourself, your people, your true stories through video, yes, through technology, yes. We want you to be able to send those things to these people and create that connection. The storytelling, which we're sort of talking around a little bit, and and being human are the only thing that has ever worked in sales since the dawn of time. Yeah. Right. And when we take that to the next level, you know, the story, and I probably told you this story, but the story that I often use is that my grandfather, he would never go to a big grocery store. Right. You know, he came from from old world, poor Scotland, Hmm. and and trust and relationships met worked for him or were, were the only thing for him. So he didn't go to Safeway or uh, Albertsons or whatever, you know, in the States there is. What he went to was, you know, John, the butcher. Hmm. And when he walked into the butcher shop, John went, you know, Adam, my grandfather's name, you know, Adam, how you doing? How's the kids? How's the wife? I got those porterhouses in the back that I know you like. You know, Hmm. there was a, a relationship and a trust and it was built on knowing each other. It was built on that, that relationship, that face, right? That connection. Now, I, we're not naive enough to think that we're going back to that old school way of doing business, right? Sure. We've crossed the Rubicon of scale and reach that we need these days because everybody has it in order to be successful. But if we can bring a slice of that back, if we can bring a slice of, you know, a recruiter at a university who, instead of sending an email, sends a video of them saying, hey, Zach, we saw that you applied. We would love to have you at the school next year. We think you'd be a great fit in the engineering program that you applied to. Here are the things that are really special to us about what we're doing. And here are the things that you're going to need to move forward. I'm Carrie. I'm here to shepherd you through this process. Can't wait to talk to you again. Yeah. We just think that that is so, to me, it's a no brainer. And and I think I've told you the short story of, of this company. You know, I've known these guys for a while, but when the product evolved to this point, I basically told them I worked there. (laughs) <laughs> like there was the I said, guys, I now work for you. We're going to go do this because I, I think that, that the power of that, the power of that authenticity and the power of that connection. And I know I've gone over two minutes. I'll stop talking um, to me is just such a no brainer in the world we're living in today that uh, it, it makes me, it, it frankly makes my job easy. Hmm. It, yeah, it, it, it sounds, I mean, obviously there's so much that you shared there that is, uh, attractive that is that makes sense quite frankly and as you're as you're even talking I'm thinking about how how much marketing today right sort of relies on uh not trickery but uh, uh, uh oh no the there's that, trickery the way, the way that we like the way that we think about sort of personalization right is in hopes that like all, all the tools that, that I'm thinking of that are out there the strategies that are out there are to convince the user, convince the consumer of the content that this was really targeted just for them, even though, right, 
it's just pulling from some variable, some, you know, con contact uh, uh, point of reference that they have on, on me, probably, you know, based on my, uh, based on a browser tracking cookie that they have installed uh, on my browser or whatever it might be that is delivering that personalized experience as opposed to it being like a genuinely authentic, uh, you know, human that actually is there on the, uh, the, on the other end chatting with me and or communicating with me uh, in a way that is, that is truly personalized. But obviously, right, like if folks are listening to this, they are, I don't think anyone would disagree with you. I think the question though is how do you do that when you're dealing with hundreds or, or thousands of inquiries or applicants? Like how do you do personalization in this authentic way that you're talking about at scale? It, which is the very next reasonable question, right? And and the way that I generally put it when I talk to our, our customers, our potential customers, is it's going to be work, hmm. right? There, there's no getting around that. But but here's the thing that I don't get. And usually when we have this conversation, we can end it really quickly. So you're fine doing the amount of work you do now. And and everybody's busy. And, and I and I don't uh I understand that. And I I you know I, I've been there. Um but you're doing all this work and you're putting all this effort into the, the traditional channels and the traditional messaging. Well, email converts it on average three percent. Yeah. So you're putting all that work in to negate 97% of your audience or your effectiveness. If you're using tele, you know, phone calls, it's one and a half percent, right? If it's ads, it's, you know, two to 5%. So we're already doing a ton of work to get less than 95% yeah. uh, of our audience. So the, the way that I frame it, and, and I would say it to anybody uh, that, we're, that we're talking to on the good kind side, look, don't take my word for it. Just try it. No, we don't offer uh, demos or anything like that. But when we sign people up, I say, just try it. Yeah. Try it with 20 people. Try it with 50 people. Try it with 100 people. And even though the numbers are smaller, right? So their email blast might have gone out to 15,000 people. And our uh, we might send out 100 videos. Sure. But because you've taken the time, because you've made it special, because it's human, because it's the connection, we'll, we'll return 20, 30, 40%. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's the thing is not the good, and that's not a sale of good kind. That, that's an indication of what happens when you actually put care and the right kind of effort into what you're doing. We don't need to reach 10,000 people. We don't. We're not going to sign. The school's not going to sign 10,000 people no, next year. No, no, right? Yeah. We, we, we have a, a, a big university in uh, Ontario and Canada that we work with. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking through all these things and we're talking about all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, you know, we're still going to have to get some scale. And we're going to have to do this. And then the program manager goes, Carrie, I need eight people. This is a, a, a high end MBA program. I need eight people. Yeah. And, and I said, well, then why are you sending email to 3000 people? Yeah. Like if we need eight people, let's find, you know, the top 16, 30, 50, whatever it is. And let's really make them feel special and let's see what we can convert. So I think we've, we got scale, right? The internet gave us this entire world as a marketplace and it completely skewed our thinking and what the, the right amount of work or the right amount of reach is. Hmm. We're happy to send out these giant blasts and yeah, there's pennies on the dollar, but they don't work. Yeah. Now, let me be very clear about something. You give me a 5,000 person email list, I'll make money. Sure, sure. Right. You give me a thousand person email list, I'll make money. I, I think there is value in email. I just think that the way that we're thinking and the way that we use it doesn't make a lot of sense anymore. 
And as soon as we start talking those kinds of details, I, I think the light goes off and people go, yeah, okay. I mean, I'm still making money at 3%, but I'm neglecting 97% of those people or I'm, I'm just letting those 97%, you know, flitter into the wind. Yeah. That doesn't make a lot of sense. And so that, that to me is the difference. And that to me is where there is an opportunity and it's not just, you know, via video, it's via Twitter. It's via um, the so some of the social networks with the content you're putting on, the reach that you're doing, the time that you're taking to put in. It's in customer service. It's in the care that you exhibit. Um, but when you reframe the effort to go into those things, which don't seem on the surface to have the same kind of reach, um, you see a transformative um, change because that small group that you really care about become ferocious for you. Right? Yeah. They'll defend you and they'll tell their friends and they'll stay loyal even if you have the occasional fuck up. Yeah. Pardon me if I shouldn't swear on here. Um, <laughs> you know, they'll 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 give you a pass if there there are issues. Whereas when it's nameless, faceless masses, uh, you don't get any of that. Yeah. I oh gosh, there's there's so much gold there. Um I think I think too though, what what you're hitting on is this this shift that I actually do think we're going through right now, um, as we think about just how we behave as consumers, um, what we expect from brands. But but what I hear you saying is like for so many, you know, we, we've become addicted to, I, I, was, I think about the story actually, I just, I just had the com this conversation with a uh, VP of enrollment last week and their sort of method is, hey, we, you know, they've done the math, they understand how many names they need to buy from like college board uh, in order to yield, right, the number of students that they need to yield in any given year. Mm -hmm. And if they need to increase, you know, enrollment by two, three, four, five percent, they just increase the top of the funnel in terms of name buys by, uh, you know, the, you know, whatever, whatever is needed in order to yield that. And what's crazy to me is that they're okay spending quite literally hundreds of thousands of dollars when, as you're saying, 95, 97, 98 percent of these buys won't convert at the end of the day. And yet like that has just become so normalized. So what I hear you talking about is like, we need to change the way in, in which we think about sort of like the sustainability of our marketing practices and the sustainability of recruitment. Because if at the end of the day, we need a hundred students, if we got a hundred inquiries and they were the right inquiries and we had the tools, the resources to convert a hundred percent of them, we would need no more than a hundred inquiries. Um, and I feel like that, that is sort of the shift. That's sort of the pivot that is happening right now is, a, a you know, um, a, a rethinking about, okay, how much do we need to funnel into the top of the funnel? How many, how many name buys do we need to, to, do we need to purchase? How much money do we need to be spending on Google search and Google display campaigns? What do we really be, you know, what is our influencer strategy? How much do we really need to be spending at the top of the funnel in order to yield the, some oftentimes hundreds uh, or or low you know thousands of students that we need in any given year to to meet our goals, um, but that's scary. Um, it, it it's scary for people to to rethink what they've been doing for five, ten, fifteen, twenty years. Oh, hundred percent. Listen, any kind of change is is scary, and and I and I get that. And and again, I'm not suggesting that all of those efforts are wasted. Right. There, there is some exposure, there's some brand building. There are, there are some things that do come from that. But, you know, you're right. If we do rethink some portion of it, even, I think that the, the trickle down of that just would make people even, you know, feel more fulfilled in what they're doing. 
Right. And, and not everybody, you know, wants to to do what I do as a marketer, but all I really want to do is sit and write. Mm. Right. That, that That's the thing that brings me the most joy to create, you know, content, to, to tell stories, to get, you know, things out there. And I think if, if most marketers, whether you think of yourself in this, in the, in the education space as a marketer or a salesperson, that's essentially what you're doing, right? You're still yeah. selling, you're just selling a different product in a different way. But if, if I have to believe, maybe this is the, the Canadian in me, maybe this is the, the hopeful in me, but if, if a lot of those people got to spend their days, you know, building real deep relationships with a smaller group of people, if they got to spend their days crafting really meaningful content or telling really meaningful stories, I just think that that would be more fulfilling even. Yeah. You know, I just think that that would, would tap into some things that harken back to our, our basic biology. You know, storytelling around the fire is how the Neanderthals evolved. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and if we got back to, and it's like quite the leap, but if we got back to some of those things, um, I do think there'd be some more engagement. We're not fundamentally talking about, we're not making those jobs go away. We're not making... Um, you know, the the role that these people play and the importance that these people play change in any fundamental way. I'm just talking about a different approach to how they're spending their time um, in, in at least some portion of that time. And I would like to believe that it would be, it would be better. And I, I very much do believe that it would be more effective. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, one of the, one of the things that we talk a lot about um, when we're talking to a college or university and they're asking for some support, rethinking sort of their marketing strategies, one of the of the things we often come back to is we ask them to share some of the stories that they're telling with us, like sh- show us some of your student profiles or, you know, show us some of your, your faculty testimonials and um, how you're sort of talking about the thought leaders that exist within your institution. And one of the things that's just so funny to me is, you know, brands like Coca-Cola or T-Mobile or, you know, think of any sort of household name brand, they have to spend tons of time, energy, money, and resources creating stories in order to sell their product. And like higher education in particular, all all levels of education really have real stories uh, at their fingertips, right? These real student stories. They don't need to fabricate anything. It's it's in their backyard. It's, Absolutely, you know, down the street yeah. from, from their in their admissions office. And so, I think one of the friction points, though, is that a lot of people in admissions and marketing and higher ed, you know, think that they are using storytelling and marketing. Um, and, you know, some of them definitely are. But I, I think that there's this there's this still sort of like disconnect between like the student profile or student testimonial or faculty profile that they're that they're exhibiting and um, the art of of a good story. So I'm just curious like, how do you think about how to use storytelling effectively in the context of marketing and, and student recruitment? Any any sort of, like, pointers or ideas or, or frameworks that you tap into um, that you'd recommend other folks consider? Oh, listen, fantastic lead and connection, because that's exactly where my mind was going to. Uh, look, I, I think at its most basic, and, and I, again pardon some of my naivety in, in this space, but if those stories are, you know, hi, I'm, I'm Carrie from whatever, uh, you know, institution, I'm a second year uh, grad student. Uh, if that story is about the university, if that story is trying to sell that, hey, we've got really great campus and there's, 
student housing is amazing or you know the teachers are the best and i, I know that's a gross oversimplification yeah. no i mean it's pretty it's pretty spot on believe it or not <laughs> that that's that's a story about the school and that's no different than if i was a, a pc manufacturer and i'm telling you about how much ram and what the megahertz of the cpu chip are and the rest of it you're selling you're selling the features you're selling the facts that that's not how that's not what storytelling is storytelling is how we relate so if the story from a student was their story right here's how i came to arrive here here's my story here's where i grew up and here are the things that i wanted to do and here's what i'm going to accomplish here that's that's how we relate hmm. right that's how another uh, prospective student somebody in high school if this is obviously a, a college or university somebody in high school looks at that and goes well that's me i want to do those things and i came from those places and i can go there and i can accomplish those to get to where i want to go that's the story hmm. right and that's and that listen this is not re uh, restricted to uh to education at all I would I would say that 90, 95% of companies, if not more, sell them. And in some cases, they have no other choice, right? Coca-Cola is a commodity. Uh, it's a brand. It fits into a larger thing. They don't have anything else to really sell, even though they will occasionally pull out the, you know, the, uh, the rock star, hey, we're united and family together type ad. <laughs> but most of what they do is just the, it's selling them, right? Every electronics, every PC, every computer, every, um, uh, you know, consumer electronic company in the world sells facts and features. And Apple comes over here and goes, well, let's just take really beautiful photos of your family. Yeah. And we wonder why Apple's so successful. Okay. They make great products and, and they let us do lots of things fun. Great. Yeah. They do make great products, but lots of people make great products. I have an, I have a, a Google pixel and an iPhone, but I have a Google pixel that as a phone, I actually like more than my iPhone. Huh. But I use my iPhone because it's how I'm connected to my family. It is how I take great pictures of things, right? And, and it boggles my mind that more people haven't figured out that if you tell the story of your users, if you tell the story of your customers, and their needs and who they are and what they want to accomplish, that you'll have far more success when you try and tell your story about how great you are and what you're going to do. And this is in our space, in, in, the, in good kind, like as, as a tech startup, you look around at all the pitches and all these people out there running these, these companies. And some of them are, are very successful, um, but they're just telling their story. We'll, we'll make you better. We'll make you faster. We'll, that's, not, that's not enough, right? It's not enough to, to, to tell your story. You have to tell the story of the people that, that are, have or want or need the thing that you offer. And again, if we go uh, sort of going back as I'm digressing, yeah. but if we tell those stories and we make it relatable to the people we're going after and they know it's not a sales pitch, right? That's the other thing with storytelling is it has to be honest. It has to be true, right? Yeah. There has to be some authenticity to it. But I think if you tell those stories and you start showcasing those, and then to me, marketing is really just this telling of stories and then finding of the place where those stories can be told. Right. So you're going back to those high schools or those lower, uh, you know, younger education institutions where you're going to find your future students and you're letting them see that path and you're letting them see the success or the dreams or the empowerment that they can have based on people that they can relate to. 
um, I don't see how this is doesn't make a lot of sense. I don't see how this doesn't make you much more successful. I don't know how this doesn't make it uh, more fun, yeah. even. Because we all enjoy telling stories as well, right? It is the, one of our most human things. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. And, you know, where my where my brain goes next, too, is that a lot of folks think about, right, alumni. Like, I, I think that if there's ever, if there's a market that uh, is ripe for disruption, it's sort of the alumni relations uh, market across most colleges and universities. Because I just think that, like, the, like, advancement offices, uh, and what I don't understand is more often than not, they're typically well-funded with respect to how other departments are funded at a, at a college or university. But I just feel like there's such a dearth of really great ideas for uh, alumni engagement and how to transform um, alumni uh, into true sort of ambassadors and, and fans of your and really promoters of your institution after graduation. And I'm just curious, you know, I, I know that you've written a fair amount about how brands can inspire their their customers to become advocates. How, how do you think that, you know, some of those ideas translate into, into higher ed? What can schools, how should schools, I guess, think about empowering their alum to become true advocates of, of the institution? So uh, I know where you're going with that, but I, I, I have to take not some offense, but I have to change how you put that. Okay, do it. We're not looking for brand advocates. Okay. Right? This, this idea why, that, that, that why, lots why of... That? So uh, let me tell you, <laughs> the <laughs> this idea that, that brands have that that they're special enough that people want to talk about them uh, is uh, couldn't be less true. Hmm. People want to talk about themselves. So my my push, and if I've used that language maybe in the past, I again this is where I've now I'm learning and going through different things. Um, but it's not a brand advocate. It's you, the concept that I, uh, the only concept now that I think makes sense is making those individuals the hero. You're making them the hero of their own story. And it just so happens that you played a role in that hero's journey, right? If you think of Joseph Campbell and, and the, the only true story arc that ever exists, the hero's journey. Um, and I think especially in alumni and alumni relations, that's where there's a massive opportunity, right? Because if, if there is no better... Um, there's no better marker for the success of your university, your college, your educational institution than the success and later life of the people that went there. Now, some might argue, look, the university isn't totally responsible for the success that this person's had. Sure. No, not, not entirely, but it certainly played a major role. You know, the relationships they made at that university, the education that they got, the connections that came from it, and the validation of having the name of that university, you know, on a degree or on a diploma or whatever the thing is for you have, have given you the opportunity for the life that you're leading. And so when we talk alumni, you know, uh, again, using them as a way to be more successful, to, to again, get more students in the future, it's not a brand advocate. It's a hero. Hmm. It's a hero story of those people. This man, this woman, this person went here and have now gone on to do this, right? Let's tell their story. Let's talk about who they are. Let's talk about what they're doing. And, and again, even if it's just by extension, although I think it's much deeper than that, but even if it's just by extension, 
the message to that high school student who's thinking about attending that institution is again, they look like me. If I do what they did, I can have what they have. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, That's it's the only story that needs telling. Yeah. And I, yeah, I'm even thinking too, just uh, a little bit, even to bring that down to something super, super practical of like a, a tactic that folks could start doing is how do you do a better job of connecting prospects with where, with what alumni are like building right now, right? Like where, like, I think oftentimes the success stories that are showcased um, within, you know, whether it's a, a uh, recruitment brochure or even on like a college specific website is, you know, an, an alum who's 10, you know, 15 years out and they are now wildly successful and making, you know, millions of dollars a year. And it's this beautiful story because they went and, you know, created a Facebook, right? Something like that. And like, yeah, that's great right. and awesome. Like use that story, beautiful, but it would be really, really, really cool. And I think maybe even a little bit more accessible if there was some way to kind of accompany, uh, your alumni as they're sort of building towards that success. Right. So like, what does it look like to create some sort of feedback? Between, 100%. This is what, Hey, you know, Zach's just posted this thing on Twitter and he just, you know, raised a series a for this company that he's, you know, uh, that he started check him out and follow his journey, blah, blah, blah. That makes Zach happy because he's getting some free promotion for, from his, from his, um, from his, the, the college he went to. Um, and, and right. What, what it does to the prospective student is it helps show in real time. Hey, Zach's two, three, whatever it is, you know, years outside of school and he's already doing this. Wow. That's so cool. Like, what would it look like for me to be able to do that? Oh, I, I could do that in two or three years, not like 10, 15 years. I feel like that is, that feedback loop just doesn't exist right now. Um, at least, at least not, it doesn't exist at scale. And that's the kind of information that I think prospective students care a lot about. And I also think that that method, that rough, that rough sort of uh, method of curation aligns with exactly what you're saying. Yeah, no, listen, I, I, I love this so much. So look, if you're, um, if you, uh, again, I always say college and diversity because mostly schools here are universities. You guys mostly would be colleges, right? Um, if you went to five or 10 people or 50 for that matter, let's just say five or 10 in every single department and every single degree that you offered and just found those and again, 99.99999% of us are not going to be Mark Zuckerberg. Sure, sure. And while that's a great, while that's a great, you know, mythology and, and folks that go to Harvard, some people probably think that, and some people have done pretty well, but we don't need to tell the, the crazy ones. We need to tell um, the things that, that are reachable for us in some ways. So if you found a bunch of people that have all come out of these programs and you went to them and said, exactly what you were talking about. We're going to tell your story. We'd like to follow you for a while. We'd like to check in regularly. We'd like to highlight you. Well, not only do you get that story that is, you know, empowering and motivational to, to those young people, but you can, you can transfer the value back, right? Mm -hmm. So let's say, you know, you're, you're a, an engineer and you've gone to work someplace and we want to highlight you and talk about your story. Well, guess what? We're going to start introducing you to people who are who are as driven, maybe more, maybe a little less, but at least as driven. That are excited about this program. That are exciting and excited about following in your footsteps. So now maybe there's a pipeline for you to hire for that company you're at. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, that's cool. Right, and yeah. it, th this is that sort of non 
I, and again, I, this is not unique thinking. Like, I, nobody's saving the world here. But if you start to think about the value on both sides, it feels like a no-brainer. And again, if you get really specific about it, and, and yes, again, it's going to take some work. You got to put some thought into it up front. But you can make sure that you know that the um, people from different places, different um, you know social classes, that that people that are you know, black and white and red and green and blue are all represented. Yeah. And there's a, there's a version that I, as, as a student coming from wherever can relate to, you know, and again, it doesn't have to be hundreds and hundreds of people. It might be across a whole university. Um, but even, a, you know, a handful of people from each discipline, each area of learning, um, you know, God, who wouldn't want to, to, to play that hero? Who wouldn't want to feel good about affecting the next generation? Who wouldn't maybe want that pipeline of new talent or new, you know, folks to to talk through, and then having those stories to tell and being able to deliver those stories back to the those kids. Oh my God, yeah, like that's a gold mine right there. That's a gold mine. And yeah. and it, the 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 bigger thing for me, I was going to mention this earlier. If it's only about spending more money, right? It's only about buying more ads or sending more emails. If there's ever a downturn. Right. And all and markets are always cyclical, right? If there's ever a big downturn and the budgets go away, the tap turns off. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. it's over. Whereas when you do things like what we're talking about, that again are take more work and a little bit more thoughtful, they don't ever end. Yeah. Right. That person that who's graduated from your institution that's playing this hero role, they never go away. They're available forever. Their stories are there, or at least if not forever, at least for decades. Right. And every year you get a new batch of those people, no matter what, even if your admissions are down 50%, there are still people coming out of those programs. Yeah. And those people are your next generation of stories, your next generation of heroes. And, and you have effort and you have cost in that it takes money and time to create these stories, but it's not the same kind of money you're spending on ads and on emails and on these other external things that, you know, again, have a shitty return. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That kind of stuff just makes more sense to me. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that, you know, one of the things that's just so so challenging is that you've got, if you're, even if you're a small college or, or university, right, and you've got a, I don't know, student population of a thousand, right, even if you're really, really tiny, that's still a thousand stories that you have to pick from, right, let alone your alumni, right? And I think that, like, there's just a plethora of like raw content that is waiting to be discovered and packaged and elevated and, and really, you know, authentically promoted. And so in terms of like, where do you go, right. To find this content, it's really is in your backyard. Um, and I think that that's, I don't, I don't know why there's still, why there's still so much friction. I, I really just think it comes down to time. And as you were hitting on uh, earlier, Carrie, right. Like, what would it look like for people to be able to actually have the resources, the time necessary to to find, to craft, and to effectively and authentically uh, tell and promote these stories? That I think that that's probably, like, friction point number one is people just not having enough time to, to tap into this. But I think what you're also saying, which I agree with, is what does it look like if you start, if you change your strategies and you spend less time trying to sort through the... 100,000 names you're going to buy, right? And f figure out what selects make the most sense for this year. And you channel that attention and you channel that that energy 
into something a little bit more authentic, even if scale is going to be uh, significantly less, does that at the end of the day, get you the return, if not more than what you needed in the, you know, traditional sort of path. So I, I, and I, I don't know, I, I really do think that there, especially as, you know, schools, at least in the States, change the way that they think about standardized tests and, and drop those requirements, right? Like a lot of those, a lot of the names that folks are so used to buying are just going away because people, fewer people are taking standardized tests. If, if schools don't want mm-hmm. to, if st- schools don't require them, like people aren't going to take them. Um, and so what does that do to your pipeline? And I think that like now we, we've hit this inflection point where we need to be thinking more about sustainable recruitment, sustainable marketing. And I think that storytelling is essential to that. Yeah, and look, we, we live in this creator economy these days where I think the, the one of the greatest messages to come out is just start. Yeah. And you just said it, right? Just start. Doesn't mean you have to have a, a full program with tapped into every, you know, uh, division of the school and you have to do hundreds of these. Just start, right? Even just finding a couple of people and, and look, you know, with good kind, what we find often is, you know, we say, look, you're going to, you're going to record videos and you're going to send these out in, 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 to a lot of people. And some people go, oh, I, I could never do that. Yeah. And then some people go, oh, I was born for this. I, I love to be on camera, right? I want to do this. And we find that there, there are some people that, uh, you know, whether they, they originally, you know, just like doing that. And, you know, we live in a, in a world now where, you know, most people, certainly of a certain age demographic, are very comfortable holding up their phones and recording things. Yeah. Um, but even the people who's who, uh, one of the the fun things for me is we'll have some people that are initially really hesitant. They're like, "Well, I don't know if I want to do that, or I'm not going to have time to do that." And then they just blossom hmm. when they start telling stories. Right? They just come out of their shell and they they, they almost become a different person. I, I think when you combine that with again, just start, it, and it and we have. You know, especially in storytelling, we've never had the tools and the power of the tools available to us that we do now. Every one of us has got a smartphone yeah. with a camera on it that is greater than any camera that filmed movies older than 20 years ago, right? <laughs> Probably 10 even. Yeah, yeah. Right? You know, we have we have laptops with, with, you know, video recorders and maybe lesser cameras, but cameras nonetheless, right? I'm, I'm recording this today on a Yeti mic. I think it costs $100. Um, it's, you know, professional quality sound, even though I'm in a closet, right? <laughs> uh, you know, we, we have the ability to do these things. It's not anywhere near as hard as it, as it used to be. And, you know, and then we can get clever, I think is the other part. And I never, never hesitate to tell people that they can't think about being clever. Yeah. You know, there was, um, when we were working with a startup in Toronto years ago, and they were sit, we were sitting around the table and we were talking about the things that we were actually helping them with. And then one of them said, well, you know, we, we've got to hire like 20 engineers next month. And how the heck are we going to hire 20 engineers in Toronto when Google and Amazon and Square and a bunch of these big companies were coming in and hiring everybody? And so we, we actually, you know, this had nothing to do with the job we were hired to do. But we said, look, let's we like creatively solving problems. Let's sit around and do this. Yeah. And the thing that we came up with, which I'm pretty certain I stole from something else years ago, was that we we wanted a certain type of engineer, right? We want those really dedicated, really 
uh, high problem solving, you know, probably still in or just out of university because they didn't have all the money in the world. And so, you know what we did? All we did was take a bunch of pizzas to the computer labs at a couple of big universities around us uh-huh. at like 11 o'clock at 11 o'clock at night. Huh. And anybody that was still in the lab at 11 o'clock at night was dedicated. Yeah. Right. They yeah. were focused on, on solving things up. And we just went in there with food and said, you guys hungry? And these kids, men and women, both were like, oh my God, I probably haven't eaten today or I probably haven't really eaten that much this week. Let me have some pizza. And then we had conversations. Wow. And we said, well, we're from, we're from here, right? Yeah, we're, we're from this company. We're actually looking for people. You know, if you if you're interested in a job, let's have a conversation. Yeah, and we got a bunch of people from, from doing that. So not not to not to toot our horn, but those kinds of, you know, other ways to find stories, other ways to take those stories to people. Now, you might not get an alumni to show up with a computer lab with you at 11 o'clock at night, but maybe you can take some video. Right. Maybe you can take some other material that, that starts to do that. Or God bless if maybe some of those people are willing to commit that kind of time. And that's the most <laughs> manual effort that I can think of to, in order to do these things. Yeah. And and we probably don't have to do that level of manual effort anymore. But you know, even that is not as much work as people are already putting in to do other things. Yeah. Oh, I I love that. And I what I love most is that. It's it's so easy, right? Like it's it's just it's simple, um, and I think it's really just about taking even just a second to to question. Okay, why are we approaching this problem this way? Like, let's pause. Let's think. Is there a better way to do this? Even if it requires being a little ridiculous and and you know spending a couple hundred bucks on pizza, like that. That's exactly the kind of uh, the the way in which we need to be thinking, especially in this world that is incredibly competitive and where budgets, you know, for admissions and marketing teams are, are not, you know, super lush. Um, and so I think that the, this sort of way of operating, this sort of way of thinking is, is, has never been more important. So thanks for, thanks for, uh, laying that out for us. I I love that idea. My, uh, my last question for you, Carrie is around Yoro, your, your favorite storytellers, where you go for creative inspiration, when you've sort of hit a block or you're looking for just a, a refresh, um, where do you, where do you go? Who do you read? Who do you listen to? Where are your favorite sort of sources of, of inspiration? Yeah. It's funny that you asked that now, because just as you were talking about slowing down a little bit and thinking through these things, the, the, the thing that came to mind and the answer to your question is uh, the thing that I go back to more, more than anything is a guy by the name of David Ogilvie, hmm. who, uh, for anybody who doesn't know, uh, was one of the, you know, the original Mad Men. The original, uh, when advertising really started to, to blossom, you know, in the 40s and 50s and 60s, uh, this was the king. David Ogilvie was the king. And his, his, the agency that he started, which went on to be one of the, the world's largest, um, very successful, obviously. And he was a copywriter. And his way of thinking is as relevant today as it was in the, the 50s and 60s. The, his thought process, his, his um, sort of process of you research and research and research and research until you know what you're talking about as well as the people you're talking to it about, hmm. right? And, and then you, you find the thing that provides value. 
So David, David Ogilvy was a conversion copywriter is what we call him today. He didn't write things to be clever. He wrote things to sell. His entire thing was if you, if you haven't sold from what you've written, then you have failed. And not like, you know, one or two. Um, you know, his, the, when I very first got started in, uh, I was working for uh, ad agencies and I stumbled upon this in, in 19, I think it was in 1958, he wrote an ad for Rolls-Royce and I'll butcher it. I'll paraphrase it a little bit. But basically, it said that at 60 miles an hour, the only thing you hear in your Rolls Royce is the clock. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I just love it. It's just the most beautiful thing. It's not a story about a feature. It's a story about a benefit. Right. Cars in the 50s were not quiet. Right. Yeah. And he found this by reading uh, this 200 page manual from one of the engineers that was, you know, working on the car, right? And he just, in a, in a little one-off thing said, you know, we should, we should think about uh, maybe insulating the clock because when you're driving, you can hear this, the tick, 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 right? Yeah. And, and I just think he's beyond genius. So he, he, if you meet, he's got, he's written a bunch of books. He, he passed away a number of years ago, but he's written a bunch of books. Um, they are the greatest manual for marketing and selling that I think exists uh, to this day. Uh, and his, the things that he wrote are, are just unbelievably practical. Um, Dale Carnegie, the same thing, right? If you've never read How to Win Friends and Influence People, genius in that book. Yeah. Absolute genius. That, that uh, you know, talk about, you know, things again in, the, in about that same era, maybe even a little earlier, but are just as applicable today. Think about things from all sides. Take some time. W work the angles, you know, um, be intentional, this, which is something I, I think about all the time, you know, be intentional with the work. Don't just, don't just spin your wheels for the sake of spinning your wheels, find a way to solve the problem. And then again, both of those men would say in a way that is focused on the customer and not on you. Yeah. And I think that to me, that just makes uh very few things even these days make more sense. And there's lots of people these days that do great work. Um, Dave Perel on Twitter. And uh, I mean, he's on lots of things, but I, I follow everything he does on Twitter. Um, there's a writer, uh, Cole Schaefer is his name, maybe the best copywriter uh, going right now. Nobody would necessarily know who he is. I think he's brilliant beyond belief. Um, he's also got a book of poetry that I love, but um, fantastic writer. And the same thing that, and he talks about Ogilvy a lot. You, you do these things to sell, right? Marketing yeah. is about selling, yeah. but how you go about that makes all the difference in the world. Right. And so I hope that even though we've been talking about storytelling and talking about these sort of grander ideas, all of this is with an eye to making the sale. Yeah. Right. Mar marketing for marketing's sake you know, even the concept of brand building, I'm not a huge fan of. I understand that it's valuable. I understand that if you do that well, there's a much bigger thing that happens. But I'm more interested in I take X action, it made Y return. Yeah. And I want to know exactly what that is. And I want to tweak it and tweak it and tweak it until we maximize the return as much as humanly possible. And, and I, again, I think both, both of those men really would echo that. No, I, I, I love that. And I'm just absorbed. I'm just... I'm thinking about um, several of the the ads that every once in a while make it around Twitter again um, that both of them have have worked on um, and or were the masterminds behind. 
And I think, you know, about the copywriters that I followed today that, uh, you know, <laughs> these guys are their heroes. Um, and of course I can't help but think of, you know, Don Draper too, as, as you're talking here and all the lessons that I feel like I personally learned about marketing through Mad Men, um, the show. So, um, but yeah, I, I, and what what's funny about what you, what you have, uh, outlined here too, Carrie, is that a lot of the times it really starts with some, a, a really simple tweak. Like I think about inquiry landing pages on a college or university website, right? And I think about how, you know, 99% of them say the same thing, right? You go to that at the inquiry page, you click on it, and it says, request more information about our nursing program, right? That's the same lead-in copy that, like, every other nursing program in the United States and maybe all throughout Canada as well, right, like, leads with. Um, there's nothing particularly exciting about that. It's direct. It's straightforward. Um, and we've been running some, you know, just simple, simple uh, copy tests, not changing anything else about the page, right, uh, on our own stuff here at Enrollify. And what's ridiculous is changing a headline, literally changing a headline results in 10x the subscribers over the same period of time that the previous headline did. We ran no ads to that, additional ads to that page, that that page was not promoted in any additional emails. Literally all we did was change the header copy. Um, and I think like that is such a small thing that every enrollment marketer could go ahead and do right now. Most of them, 90 plus percent of them will have the authority to be able to tweak something like that and play with it. And, you know, when, when you talk about sort of the, Hey, how do you, how do you think a little bit more simply about this? How do you think a little bit more about being personal, uh, for the sake of truly being personal and not to trick somebody into think that you're thinking that you're, uh, that you're being personal, I just come back to sort of like copywriting as like a very simple, easy, uh, low risk, high, you know, potential reward tactic for getting started. Yeah, look, uh, a couple thoughts on that. The first is that if you, I think copywriting might be the most essential skill of the next, you know, well, for the next forever when it comes to marketing and selling, mm. not just because you can write a clever headline, but when you learn to tell a story as simply as it can be told, which is something that you get, you know, if you start writing and you and you keep writing, you you get better and better at, and everybody can do it. Um, it, it can be, you know, um, I was going to say life changing. That's a little bit hyperbolic, but it can make a huge difference. When we talk about, you know, we talked very high level um, with all of this stuff, but the thing that you, you know, really hit the the nail on the head with is not just, you know, um, again, go back to being personal, but talk to people like you would talk to them in real life yeah. in your copy, you know, on your, in your headlines, on your buttons, right? I don't need to see book now. I don't need to see reserve your spot. Yeah. You know, I want to see, hey, here's how to get the thing that you want. It's okay if there's, you know, a sentence in there. Yeah. It's one of the things when I, when I worked in e-commerce, we experimented with a lot. You know, how, how can we tweak that button? How can we, we uh, you know, focus the imagery in a way that that reinforces that? And so talk like you talk to people at a party, right? Human. You're not going to you're not going to walk up to somebody and blast them with an offer. You're not going to walk up to somebody and blast them with a with a call to action that is, you know, uh, generic and forceful. You're going to try and, uh, you know, you're going to sell it to them a little bit. You're going to be a little gentle. You're going to give them some context. Yeah. You're going to, uh, you know, provide a little value before you ask them for, for something. And so anybody, anybody can look at their website. 
their landing pages. They're again, email newsletters because there is value in email newsletters. Yeah. Uh, and if you just make it more human, you will convert more people. You will build a, be a, a better and more trustworthy audience. And again, if you build an audience, you can sell them anything in the long run. Yeah. And I, th I think that that is, there's just been historically for, for so many reasons, right? This like fear, especially in academia of like being conversational in your copy, being conversational in your marketing. And I think that, you know, this probably stems back to sort of the whole like ivory tower uh, phenomenon. And I think though that we're entering this new era where there have been there is more choice than ever before when it comes to how you think about education after high school. Right? I think about like the Lambda schools of the world. I think about even just mm -hmm. the alternative ways in which students, highly educated students, right, are, are thinking and, and considering sort of like what is the real value of a, of a four-year degree. I think that now is the time, right, to look to the ed tech companies, look to the Lambda schools, you know, look to the general assemblies and think about what can what can I take from, you know, what what they're doing or, or what are they doing? How are they reaching these audiences? And how does that compare to the language that we use in our own communications? And, you know, I'll spoil alert, like it's night and day. It's it's a very different approach. Um, and I think oh, it, it is exactly night and day. I mean, look, <laughs> Lambo is a very good uh, example, right? Think of the, the the basic of their offer. And if anybody doesn't know Lambda, they should go to the website. Um, not just, we're not selling again, we're not selling the facts and features of Lambda, not that it's remote, not that it's this, not that it's whatever. We're guaranteeing you a job. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? We're guaranteeing you a job so much, you don't even have to pay us. Yep. You can pay us after when you get the job. Yep. We'll just take a piece of that. Yep. That I mean, talk about embodying everything we just discussed here, right? Yeah. Like, Make it about the future success of your students over everything with a money-back guarantee. Yeah. Not even money back because you don't have to spend any. But I, I mean, that is uh, I, what those guys are doing is amazing. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. I mean, and and I think like historically, I guess, yeah, my point too is that a lot of folks have been like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's, you know, they're different. Like they're going after a different target audience than we are. And like, and again, historically, I would agree. I do think though that we are just we are on the cusp of a new era where education and like what education post high school looks like is going to be dramatically disrupted by the lambdas of the world. And I, I do absolutely think like I don't think that you know the bachelor's degree uh, is is going away, but I do think that there's going to be more competition. It's going to become more socially acceptable. It's already becoming more socially acceptable to take an alternative pass uh, an alternative path post high school. And therefore, as enrollment marketers, people that are working in admissions and, and marketing uh, at a, you know, col a college or university today, you need to be aware of these things so that you can ensure that you're competing, like you're, you're running right in, in the right race. Um, and not, you know, just eons behind everybody else when it comes to thinking about how to effectively communicate your story to prospective students. And I think that like, figuring out what these other companies are doing and and guess what like they're yes they still have a lot to prove but there's proven success already um and i think that like this is where you start if you don't know where to start go look at lambda school um see how see what they're doing understand sort of the way in which they communicate go subscribe to their newsletters i i get them all the time and they're just so well written 
um, and and start there because again, that's 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 uh, you know a little bit more comparable maybe than to some of the other marketing blogs and uh, other resources that that you know we we know and love. But I think that that's that is a place to go if you want some inspiration. Someone that's doing something a little bit different, but it is at, is at least you know loosely connected to to your space. Start there. Yeah, no, that's great advice. Fantastic advice. Well, Carrie, this has been wonderful. I have learned a lot. I think I could talk to you all day. Um, any any final uh, takeaways that you want to leave our our listeners with? Oh, the sage advice. Uh, again, just uh, not to not to sound like a, a broken record, but find a way to tell stories. Yeah. Um, they don't have to be grand. They don't have to be the most transformative or the most hilarious or the most moving, but just find a way to tell authentic stories and watch. Just watch what it does because I've yet to see an example of, of either companies I've worked with or companies I admire or, or friends that I have that do similar jobs. I've yet to see an example of somebody implementing this, genuinely implementing this and, and, and having it not be transformative. It just, it, it just works because it's not, we're not finding something gimmicky. We're not finding something new. We're finding, uh, we're tapping into the most basic thing that we as human beings know how to do and what moves us. And so find, find a way to tell stories. Love it. Carrie, thank you so much for your time. If folks want to learn more about you and uh, the work that you're doing with Goodkind, what's the best way for them to get in touch? Well, uh, Goodkind can be found at wearegoodkind.com. That's uh, the website. If you want to talk about telling stories over video, we'd love to have that chat and love to show you what we're doing. Uh, as for me, if you uh, look up at Kmore, K-M-O-R-E, on almost anything, uh, Twitter especially, you will find me and uh, and usually ranting about something or another. <laughs> I love it. And we'll go ahead and link all of that in the show notes as well. So if you're listening to this on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast, you can just scroll down and click through to any of the links that Carrie just mentioned. Um, but thank you, sir, for your time. Really, really appreciate it. And thanks for all the work that you do and the value that you add to the space. Oh, I appreciate it, man. This was fun. Thank you. If you are an enrollment marketer working in marketing and communications or enrollment management and would be willing to be interviewed on the podcast, or if you have an idea for a topic that you'd like to hear covered on the podcast, please reach out directly to me at Zach, Z-A-C-H, at Enrollify.org. We sincerely look forward to working with you to make Enrollify the most trusted, go-to, digital resource for enrollment marketers out there.